Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello, everyone, and welcome to you all. Another edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. Hope you caught our live election night. Uh, no, debate night. I keep calling it the election night. The Alberta debate night uh, confab that we had on Thursday. We'll be doing a supercharged version of that on election night on Monday. So if you're in Alberta or are interested in Alberta politics, which I think all of you probably should be, uh, Monday night, tune in to True North. We'll have yours truly, Rachel Emanuel, and a great other cast of characters coming to you live from UCP headquarters in the election that will define in a lot of ways the future of Alberta and in a very corresponding way, I think, the future of the country. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on, but wanted to just make sure you were aware of that to mark your calendars. I have to start off. I'm going to get into the whole David Johnston thing. Like, so don't worry. I'm going to get into that. I'm going to devote most of the show to it. But I have to begin with a bit of a mea culpa here because I sometimes I just think something is just going to be a light little uh, non-serious topic. And I mentioned something offhandedly that will get more emails than anything else I spoke about on the big subjects. And you may remember on Friday, during Fake News Friday, I talked about this one article telling us we needed to decolonize our gardens. And I mentioned just offhandedly that I know nothing about gardening. And if you left me to it, I would look out on a garden and see all those little yellow flowers and be like, oh, that must be uh, nice. Those things must be good. Let's not pull them out. And then they'd be dandelions. And then I mentioned that uh, dandelions are weeds. And the premise of it was that if left to my own devices, I wouldn't care about them, but I know other people take them out. I got more emails about dandelions over the weekend than about any other subject and anything else I spoke about on the show, including censorship at a public library. That mattered less to people than what uh, people understood as a shot across the bow at dandelions. I'll share a couple of these with you. Uh, People were very polite generally. Uh, Jacqueline writes, I'm the least woke person in the world. I'm very right-leaning. However, dandelions have been maligned unfairly for years due to their many, many food and medicinal uses. The company that mostly attacks them is the producer of Roundup. And uh, then there she goes on and says she's going to send me some other materials, which she did. Thank you, Jacqueline. Uh, Nancy writes, FYI, love your show, Andrew, but you have to catch up on the benefits of dandelions, both for your lawn and your health. All parts of the dandelion are edible right down to the root. Juice from the stem can be used topically to treat bug bites, supposedly anyway. So I went outside this morning, and unfortunately, most of the dandelions have now done that thing where they turn to like the white, like, spore as there I, I know nothing about gardening uh, but there were a couple of yellow dandelions remaining and I thought what better way to show my contrition for maligning the dandelion than to consume one on air for you to uh, again no one has ever emailed me and said Andrew I don't think you eat enough so someone said here this dandelion you probably have eaten now the problem is I picked this like three hours ago and it was a lovely, lovely, pretty dandelion then. And now in the time it's been uh, in my office, it's uh, shriveled up into nothing. So I don't know if this one still has the health benefits, but to prove there are no hard feelings, that was gross. But you know what? You got to give the people what they want. I almost drank the water that I was keeping it in. I'm going to go for the actual water. 
If I die on air, as we do this show, uh, Dandelions did not have the vaunted health benefits they were supposed to. Uh, in any event, <laughs> the big stuff that's happening today, I'm still, even today, I'm going to get more emails about the Dandelion bit than about uh, David Johnston's complete whitewash of the federal government's actions or inactions on the China file. And I want to just put this in a little bit of context for people here. David Johnston, we all know, is the lifelong family friend of the Trudeaus. He's the skiing buddy of the Trudeaus. He's the guy who was a neighbor of the Trudeaus. Yet somehow, somehow, of all the people in the country... All the people in the world, in fact. David Johnston was the guy tapped by Justin Trudeau to be the so-called special rapporteur into foreign interference in Canada's elections. Again, anyone in the country. I would have been available. Candace Malcolm was available. Ezra Levant was available. You've got former cabinet ministers, judges, Paul Rouleau. Uh, not, not a perfect pick, but Paul Rouleau might have been available. But of all the people there, Justin Trudeau said, we need a so-called eminent Canadian. And it was David Johnston and a couple of former Supreme Court justices that were all in the room. And David Johnston was next in the rotation as far as eminent Canadians are concerned. So David Johnston appointed to look into his longtime chum, Justin Trudeau, and shocker, no surprise whatsoever, he comes out today and says, well, you know, Justin Trudeau didn't really do anything wrong. He has advised against an inquiry into foreign interference in Canada's elections, but he says this story is not over yet, we've got to do a little bit more digging, uh, and who better to do that than me, David Johnson, the eminent Canadian. So uh, David Johnson has decided that David Johnson should continue to look into this, and uh, David Johnson also says if you criticize his appointment, if you accuse him of being impartial, you are undermining confidence in democracy or undermining confidence in Canadian elections. So this is actually a pretty sweet gig for David Johnson because uh, he's the guy, you can't criticize him, and he's making sure to reward Justin Trudeau by saying they did nothing. So he's made this report available. There are five key recommendations in it, five key recommendations. The most important is that we don't apparently need an inquiry. That is the uh, reason. His argument was kind of bizarre. It was that, well... You know, I had the full context on this. All these media outlets like Global News and the Globe and Mail, they didn't have all the information I did, but I, David Johnston, did. And, well, it's classified, though. The rest of you can't see it. So th this was legitimately the point that he was trying to make. And I think we actually have a clip to this effect where he says that uh, media reports lack proper context. Take a look. Much of what has been reported has been based on limited and partial intelligence. That reporting has been made without the benefit of the full context provided by all relevant materials. Experienced intelligent professionals understand that individual pieces of intelligence must be viewed with considerable skepticism. It is extremely rare to draw conclusions, much less take action, from a single intelligence report. Each piece of intelligence is a brushstroke to paint a broader picture. Only upon seeing the full picture, with the benefit of all relevant intelligence, can one conclude that much of the reported intelligence has been misconstrued in media reports, presumably because of this lack of context in these instances. 
Oh yeah, what a great approach there. So all of you can't see what I can see. Uh, and when then the obvious question is, okay, well, why don't we all see this? Why don't we declassify these documents? He says, no, 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 no. The general public can't see classified documents. So his recommendation is that there should be no public inquiry because to have a public inquiry, you would need to provide people with documents that they can't see. So the only way we get to have accountability is by he continuing to look at this stuff and David Johnston continuing to be the one who gets to decide what's relevant and what's not. And he said, oh, but, you know, maybe this committee like NSACOP can look into it. And if they disagree with my findings, they can tell the government. But he still becomes the gatekeeper on information. So for a guy whose whole thesis in his report is that the media got it wrong and the media didn't get the so-called full context, he then turns around and says, well, nobody else can see this full context. So uh, China's interference in Canada's elections, which he admits is a thing, which no one disputes is a thing, uh, basically goes where democracy dies. It goes into some uh, hollowed out empty chamber where the public will never understand the extent of it. And more importantly, will never understand what Justin Trudeau knew when he knew it and what he refused to do with it. And if you look at a couple of the clips that came out from David Johnston's uh, remarks here, one I, I'm going to share, uh, which I think is fascinating, because we know that he was a longtime friend of Justin Trudeau's, but he has said that no one can question his impartiality. No one whatsoever can question uh, the old uh, great oracle David Johnston's impartiality. And then he was asked about this uh, friendship with Justin Trudeau, and he like spoke for basically two minutes about how, oh, well, yes, you know, we used to be neighbors and uh, his family would park at my house because it was in Mont-Tremblant near the mountains when they went skiing. And one time I gave him a ride home, but oh no, I've never, never seen, I uh, really saw him until he was prime minister and I was governor general. And that, that was only when we started to be real chums. And I'm like, well, okay. So yes, you've had this longstanding relationship with him. You spoke for two minutes about why I'm not going to play the whole two minutes because I summarized it well. Uh, but you know, you've spoken about it and then you say, well, it's no biggie. And that anyone who dares ask about it is the problem. So uh, what we have from this is I think a, a pretty sensible example of why he's not the guy who can deliver accountability on this. And it was funny, he was asked by David Aiken, to his credit, of Global News, about whether there was a conflict of interest, because he's, again, a longtime Trudeau family friend. He's a former Trudeau Foundation advisor. And I kid you not, his response was that he had himself cleared of a conflict by former Supreme Court Justice Frank Iacobucci, Frank Iacobucci, where do I know that name from? Oh, put up that graphic there, Sean. Oh, what do you know? Frank Iacobucci is a Trudeau Foundation mentor. So uh, heaven forbid the uh, Trudeau Foundation guys turn on each other. So uh, David Johnson cleared of a conflict of interest for his role as a Trudeau Foundation uh, mentor and member by Frank Iacobucci, who's a Trudeau Foundation mentor, uh, which means that oddly enough, David Johnson's report does not even acknowledge the Trudeau Foundation. You look at the uh, document here, and you do a control F or a command F if you're a Mac user like I am for the word foundation. And, oh, what do you see? Foundation of our democracy, foundation of information, uh, foundation. Fa Weird, the word Trudeau Foundation does not appear in his report at all. 
Yet we know that to the tune of six figures, the Trudeau Foundation was being used by China as uh, what China at least thought would be a laundering outfit where they get to give a big check to the Trudeau Foundation, which then gets filtered into putting these meetings in all the right places, friends in high places. And this was not something that was investigated by the special rapporteur. So all of this is coming at a time when how dare David Johnston put himself in a situation where criticizing his impartiality, perceived or otherwise, is undermining democracy. When I'd say his appointment a special rapporteur undermines democracy. Uh, and Stephen Chase from the Globe and Mail had said something uh, on his Twitter that I retweeted uh, maybe about an hour, an hour and a half ago, that his report inexplicably addresses only three Globe stories on Chinese foreign interference in recent months that relied on CSIS documents and national security sources. He's silent on 10 other Globe stories on the same topic that rely on secret sources and documents. So David Johnson has been very selective about which stories he focuses on, which stories warrant his condemnation of the media. He's been selective on which stories he thinks are worth including, worth analyzing, worth investigating. And he has the goal to tell us that we don't have the full context. We don't have all the facts. We don't actually know or get to know or get to hear or get to understand why everything happened the way it was reported because, well, you know, we're just these lowly plebs without security clearance. We can't possibly. And there was a, a thing here that jumped, that came out where Aaron O'Toole, who we invited to come on the show today, and as I understand it, didn't respond to us for one reason or another. But Aaron O'Toole was interviewed by David Johnson, and Aaron O'Toole wrote about this on his Substack this morning. Uh, in it, he basically said, listen, when he sat down with Johnson, he was convinced it was a waste of time and was also told, and Johnson confirmed this, that parts of the final report that we saw today were already being sent off for translation. So the report was already effectively done when he was sitting down being supposedly interviewed by David Johnson. And when the report is already being translated, it basically says that the idea of just talking to a conservative was just an afterthought. And, and I think Pierre Polyev was right to just say he wanted nothing to do with this process. Uh, Polyev did a, a statement today uh, in which he basically said this proved everything that he warned about with this inquiry. Take a look. We need a full public inquiry to get to the bottom of Beijing's interference in our democracy. And that's what I will deliver when I am prime minister. There will be a full public inquiry into this mess. Uh, and in the meantime, we will continue to push for a real foreign influence registry that exposes anyone who does paid work on behalf of a foreign dictatorship to manipulate our politics. It's just common sense. Yeah, it should be common sense. But I, I wrote about this in a column a few months ago. The problem with this eminent Canadian category, of which uh, David Johnston is a member, Frank Iacobucci is a member, Beverly McLaughlin's a member, is that they actually don't have much sense common or otherwise, between them. Because it's all about just trying to keep the regime alive. That's the goal. It's all about just uh, making sure that we don't undermine democracy. But they get to define what democracy is. They get to define what democratic institutions are. And democratic institutions only exist if they're the ones representing them. They're the ones who are the faces of them. 
So here we have David Johnston coming out and saying, yes, China is interfering in our elections. And by the way, uh, in his remarks, it took, I think, like 20 minutes before he even uttered the word China. So he was just trying to deal with this only in the abstract, which is uh, noteworthy and concerning. But the report does talk about China. It talks about Chinese interference. Uh, he says, oh, yeah, there were some shortcomings. But, but you look at the shortcomings, and oddly, none of them involved Justin Trudeau. It was the system needs to do better. So he is either intentionally or otherwise, I don't know, parroting Justin Trudeau's approach to everything, where when he is caught to have broken rules or uh, broken the law in some cases, it somehow becomes society's fault. It's society's problem. It's never Justin Trudeau's problem. He, there's never a learning opportunity for him, but there's a growth opportunity for all of us. And Johnston is essentially doing the same thing here, where he's saying, well, uh, you know what? We, we all need to do a little bit better. But, but no, let's focus on the people that were being told, that were being told that Michael Chong's family was being spied on and intimidated. The people who were told that a liberal member of parliament, or at the, uh, at the time, an earlier liberal candidate, was being uh, helped along in his career by officials with the Chinese consulate. The, the Handong stuff is particularly interesting here. So Handong, the liberal MP who was getting some help from uh, Chinese officials, who later on was, as a liberal MP, a backbench liberal MP, having a conversation with a Chinese consular official about the two Michaels, which in and of itself is concerning. And a CSIS report said that he had advised against the release of the two Michaels. And Handong said, oh, well, this, he's out of caucus now. But I mean, Handong had basically said that, well, it was a mistranslation. He never actually said that. Well, David Johnson gives like three paragraphs of attention to the Handong issue. And in the three paragraphs, he says, there is well-grounded suspicion that the irregularities tied to the PRT were tied to the PRT consulate in Toronto with whom Mr. Dong maintains relationships. So they say that absolutely he's friends with people that have been meddling in Canada's elections. But then they say, well, he probably wasn't aware of the irregularities. But on the two Michaels, he says, and this is, I think, quite fascinating here, that, and I'm just pulling up the exact quote because I, I don't want to be accused of getting it wrong, that he... Never, in, Mike, in, uh, in David Johnson's words, he never talked about the, uh, he never advocated for keeping them detained. So that's a complete contradiction to the Global News report. He, Johnston concludes the allegation is false. But then he says, Mr. Dong discussed the two Michaels with a PRC official, but did not request to the official that the PRC extend their detention. Well, okay, let's talk about why they were having a discussion. Why was Handong even talking to China about the two Michaels? He had no consular authority. He was not a member of global affairs. He wasn't a minister. Uh, it doesn't sound like he was doing it on the government's behalf. Uh, so you'd think a special rapporteur would be interested in getting to the bottom of that. Uh, but instead, he does this. This is what Johnson says. The allegation that he did make that suggestion has had a very adverse effect on Mr. Dong. Hmm. So David Johnston is more interested in talking about the hurt feelings that Handong had than the substance of the allegation. Even the 
uncontested substance, which is that he was having a conversation with Chinese officials while China was keeping two Canadians locked up for years without due process. And we're supposed to be concerned about the adverse effect that Global News is reporting had on Mr. Dong. So I think that if it's false, great, let's see the transcript. Why are we being told to just trust David Johnston when David Johnston was reviewing a transcript of a call that he's saying no Canadians should be allowed to see? And this is exactly why there needs to be an inquiry, an inquiry that makes public documents that right now are not being public because right now the government has shown itself to not be trustworthy on this. Not Justin Trudeau, not the brass at CSIS, and certainly not David Johnson. We're going to revisit this a little bit before the show ends, but I, I want to shift gears to another topic which is important we had actually planned to uh, talk about this today as of last week and that is the move towards climate friendly banking which sounds like a bit of an absurd thing but there are some MPs that are actually trying to force this on financial institutions on pension funds that they rejig their investment rules to only back uh, projects or initiatives or corporations that have climate aligned goals we spoke a while ago about this in the context of what uh, Gina Papano of Invest Now was doing. And we have uh, Gina back with us today. Gina, it's uh, good to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on the show. So let's first off talk about this idea that it is not a new one. I mean, we've seen institutions push this and you've uh, been on the front line of that. But now we have MPs that are actually trying to codify this in regulation. What would that actually mean? Well, it would mean that they're putting an arbitrary... Um, rule on investments in oil. It really means the elimination of the oil and gas sector as an investment potential. And in Canada, this is very disconcerting because everything that we do runs on oil and gas and we have an abundance of oil and gas and we need to invest in this sector to ensure that the supply that the world needs is met by Canada and Canadian companies. So putting this into law um, is giving it the climate um, climate alignment as a superseding duty over fiduciary duty to invest in things that will provide the best returns for their um, beneficiaries. You know, I, I have a big problem with the, the ethical aspect of this for, for reasons that we'll get into with the effect on the oil and gas sector. But, but if I'm someone who is trying to get my retirement savings done through a pension plan, I mean, I'd be mortified that I was being denied what should be the primary goal of a pension fund, which is return on investment, because they've decided, oh, you know what, we only need to invest in climate-aligned companies. Or you, you could take that to any number of other issues. We only That's want right. uh, companies that have a feminist focus. We only want companies that mm -hmm. fly the pride flag or what? like, it's just, like, if you're an investor in this, this yes. is, is this even something you care about? Well, if you're an investor, you should only be concerned with, it's your, it's public money. So the, the investors, the public pension funds, the banks, they should be concerned with providing the best returns to their shareholders, to their beneficiaries and imposing this rule eliminates an entire sector from the investment potential. And that is not, that's not even ESG investing because if you, if you take a, if you take away the oil and gas sector, for example, you can't invest in any Canadian oil and gas sectors, uh, any oil and gas companies, the demand is still there. So the supply will come from somewhere. It just won't be Canada 
and emissions will go up and everything that they're trying to do will not be attained, achieved. But what will happen is the elimination of the oil and gas sector in Canada, jobs, um, our, our way of life, like our, um, uh, there's just so many industry will shut down. So many industries rely on oil and gas, the mining industry, you can't have industries without oil and gas because they fuel every in industry on the stock exchange. So prior to the environmental dimension that we talked about previously and that we're talking about now, mm -hmm. has there ever been a, a moral test to these investment funds or is that in and of itself a new phenomenon? Well, there was apartheid. Uh, so people weren't investing in South African companies um, and tobacco companies in the past. But um, there's what they found was um, those pension funds lost out especially tobacco companies they lost out on returns and hmm. i think if someone wants to do what whatever they they if they want to invest in something of their own money but this is taking the public pension plan and using it weaponizing it basically to invest in what is termed climate friendly but we we really have no way of proving that because yeah, I mean, there, therein lies, I, I think, the other problem, which is even if you agree fundamentally with what they're trying to do, uh, it, it's not even clear that it will do that. And I think all the evidence probably points mm -hmm. in the other direction. I, I mean, uh, you talk about the environmental impact of the mining industry, and it is there, but it's the mining industry that benefits the most when we decide that everything needs to be electric. Like, I remember once seeing... Uh, at, at Davos, there was this mining executive that was talking about, oh, we need battery powered everything. And everyone's like, oh, he's so he's such a climate champion. And it's like, well, yeah, who stands to benefit from, you know, the world ratcheting up its demand for lithium? lithium. It's these, these mining executives. So it, right. it's not even like it will achieve that environmental objective. No, it, it's really an exercise in magical thinking, because to think that we can eliminate our oil and gas sector, especially in Canada, where we're blessed with the natural mm -hmm. resources, we should be getting our Canadian oil and gas out there, we should be investing in it. Because, you know, facts, you the divestment activists may believe that they're, they're helping Canada and reducing CO2 emissions. But the facts point to quite the opposite. Just today, 84% of primary energy needs are coming from oil, natural gas and coal, and global demand is increasing, not decreasing. So we want Canada and Canadian companies to meet this demand. Otherwise, we're hobbling ourselves and giving it to, you know, the supply will be met from someone and we want it to be from Canada. When we look at these regulations, do they make a distinction between, you know, Canadian companies that, as you've noted, are doing a lot of work to really comply with government environmental regulations and to innovate themselves and reduce their emissions and, you know, foreign oil companies that might not be a, as diligent with this? Or does it basically just paint any traditional energy source with the same brush and any company in that space? That's right. It's all oil and gas and coal painted with the same brush there's no distinction mm. for canada it's obvious that they want to dismantle this sector in canada and, and we, we hear the government using these you know nice little words like just transition as, as though mm -hmm. this is all just part of some natural evolution and and you know they don't often conceal the fundamental goal of, of envisioning a future without oil and gas no but the problem is is that even possible <laughs> you know there's so so much more to oil and gas than just electricity there are so many products that rely on oil and gas and uh, you can't make steel without coal. There's so many um, 
products that we rely on to live our lives, to, uh, to drive to work, to, you know, um, to, to heat our homes, to air condition our homes. And so we, we, we can't, I don't even think you can fathom a world without oil and gas right now. But people think we can just flip a switch in 20 years and be done with it. I know there's been a big push, and it's actually been unfortunately getting some success at universities to have universities divest from from oil and gas. And I was wondering if you could just provide an update on on kind of how that is, because I think there were uh, some calls, and I'm in London, Ontario. There were some calls at Western yeah. University, which hasn't yet done it yet, but some pretty no. big universities have. That's right. U of T has um, so the divestment movement's been around for ten years. Uh, the universities were a prime target to get the endowment funds to divest from oil and gas. But if you, if you look at the movement, um, pension funds have divested. Now they're, attack, you know, they're going after the banks to divest. So you see an escalation in their targets. But what you don't see is any reduction in emissions. In 10 years, demand has gone up, emissions have gone up. So even though all of these endowment funds and um, public pension plans have divested, there has been no discernible impact on emission on emissions. Now, I, I know that the uh, Canadian pension or the Canada pension plan has rejected this call, but are you optimistic that position will hold if the current trajectory keeps up? Well, we've been tracking all of the movements and um, I guess the targets of the divestment activists and, and we're just trying to state our case of why the, the Canada pension plan should not be divesting from oil and gas. They should be investing in oil and gas. It's good for innovation. It's good for emissions reductions. It's good for our economy. And so the Canada pension plan should not be entertaining divestment, but we're just hoping to be able to um, get our messages out there, our narrative. Well, yeah, and I think as you should be, and I, I know you've talked about the demand issue, but you know, they talk about a divide between the real economy and the financial economy here. Because if yes. you know, if you if you could divest, you know, all your stocks and holdings in an oil and gas company, but it does nothing to eliminate the demand for oil and gas, which is still there, and and the need for hydrocarbons. So, uh, it, but it really does try to just kill this industry by a thousand blows. Mm -hmm. It's just affecting their access to capital, mm -hmm. and. It gives the um, it gives other companies in less democratic regions an opportunity to fulfill the supply. So yeah, and that, yeah, and that's always been the the reality here is that you know mm -hmm. anything that we do in the West uh, to hurt our oil and gas sector benefits Venezuela and benefits yes. uh, you know the Middle East and and to you know indirectly Iran and and all these other places mm -hmm. that that tend to do very well. So when you get you know Justin Trudeau saying there's no business case for uh, business case for exporting you know LNG to Germany, well Germany is looking around desperately looking for it. That's it's right. another country that fills that void. Yes, and also at the same time China's building a coal plant every week right now. So or getting approvals to build a coal plant every week. So there's there's not a global alignment on this stuff and to just hobble ourselves does makes no sense. So I, I guess the big question here, and I don't know if you can answer it simply, but are, are you an optimist or a pessimist on this? Uh, I'm an optimist. I think the way things are looking in Europe is um, uh, like a marker for us to watch. And um even like company, uh, countries like Qatar are saying that due to the lack of investment, there's going to be a severe oil 
supply shortage, which means prices are going to go up. So I think people might start connecting the dots that, hey, we, we, maybe investment is, is not such a bad thing. We need to invest in our supply. We need to invest in our Canadian companies. We have this, you know, the highest environmental standards in the world. So I think we just have to keep getting our messages out and we might be heard. <laughs> I'm optimistic well, that we'll be heard. <laughs> all right. Well, we certainly hear you uh, here as well. And I, I think there, there is obviously a little bit of a deck stacked against the little guy feeling that, mm. uh, that a lot of individual investors have. But I, I think you need to call up your banks. I think you need to call up yes. uh, the people managing your funds because we know that the activists are doing that. That's uh, right. And, and if they're not getting anyone on the other end saying it's important that you keep my my money going towards this if there's a business case there uh then yep. it's completely going without being contested that's right we need to stand up and and fight for the industry fight all right well Canadians. you're certainly doing that and i think everyone needs to uh, to join you in that fight uh, gina papano uh, executive director of invest now thanks so much and uh, do keep us posted on this thank you andrew all right. Thank you, Gina. Uh, I said uh, before the show is up, I'd get back to the uh, China files here, and I will in just a moment. But uh, speaking of being heard, let me just uh, briefly offer an update to a story we've talked about at True North, which is the uh, ban on Canada Day fireworks by the city of Calgary. So uh, the city of Calgary decides uh, when Mayor Jody Gonduck gets in that it's a uh, climate emergency. So all of a sudden, the climate crisis means you can't light fireworks. Uh, it has nothing to do with their hatred of Canada Day. It's their hatred of anything that emits into the atmosphere or something like that. So uh, now they've decided to replace it with a sound and light show. Now, I'm not against sound and light shows. I went and saw an ABBA hologram concert that was a sound and light show, and I loved it. But I didn't do it because they were fighting against the climate crisis. I did it because it looked like it was good on its own merits. And now in Calgary... Thousands have signed a petition to bring back Canada Day fireworks. So I don't know if Jody Gonduck is going to listen. I think some, I think anyone who wants to should chip in and have their own private uh, fireworks show that's going to rival the cities. Just rent some uh, giant acreage and do the fireworks show that the city is not allowing. And make sure you admit twice as much as the city would have, just to prove the point. But all that being said, let's talk about the China stuff here. If you're just tuning in, David Johnston has decided to give a clean bill of health to Justin Trudeau's handling of the China file. He said, oh no, he didn't know anything. He didn't avoid anything. He didn't ignore anything. The real problem is those pesky civil servants that we need to figure out what a good way is for them to be able to communicate stuff to government and communicate stuff to Justin Trudeau. So uh, they're the ones we need to look at here, not Justin Trudeau. And oh, the media, you guys, no, 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 the media just got it wrong. We needn't, we didn't have access to all of the wisdom and documents that David Johnson had. So the recap on this, and if you're having trouble following along, you're not alone, because I think anyone with uh, two IQs, uh, two IQ points to rub together is even having trouble uh, with this. And the whole point here is that David Johnston is effectively saying that everyone but Justin Trudeau is the problem. And if you criticize Justin Trudeau, you're part of this media misinformation. If you criticize David Johnson, you're undermining faith in democracy. It's actually quite brilliant because it means that no one is able to say anything but David Johnson because, well, you didn't have all the facts. You didn't have all the full context. So uh, it's a, a pretty smart way of doing things, but is it in Canada's best interest? Absolutely not. And I, I pointed out on Twitter earlier, you can tell why Johnson and Trudeau are friends. 
because both of them, whenever they're busted on something, just talk about broad, abstract shortcomings while not talking about their own responsibility and saying it's the system to blame and then pointing to the media more than anything else. But what happens here, and I'm just going to go through some of the greatest hits of this, the five conclusions that Johnson had. One, yes, foreign interference is happening in Canada's elections. Two, materials were misconstrued in some media reporting. Three, there are serious shortcomings in how intelligence is communicated and processed. Again, the general, the abstract, nothing to do with Trudeau. Uh, number four, I'll get back to in a moment. Uh, number five is that Trudeau should invite these independent oversight committees like NSACOP to review his conclusion and have access to classified information and say if they disagree with his conclusion. Number four, though, was that a further public process is required, but that should not be a formal inquiry because to do so would mean that documents uh, that have been uh, classified would have to be made public and we can't have any of that. So instead, uh, Johnson is going to embark on a second phase and keep this going himself. And in that second phase, he's going to have public hearings, but the documents, uh, well, those aren't going to be public. So uh, this is what he's saying, and we're supposed to just trust him. And if you read through the report, it's odd how he tends to just want to give Justin Trudeau uh, outs on things. Like I, I mentioned the Handong stuff. Uh, there there's one point of Handong uh, that talks about when he was a nomination candidate, which was the subject of one of the CSIS reports. And the reason it was important is because there were things brought up to the liberals at the time that looked like he was trying to get a little bit of help from China and from the Chinese Politburo. And Justin Trudeau, was briefed about the irregularities. And Johnson acknowledges this in his report. He said he was briefed, no specific recommendation was provided. He concluded there was no basis to displace Mr. Dong as the candidate for Don Valley North. Now, had he ended there, it would have been just a statement of fact. But Johnson goes one line further. He says, this was not an unreasonable conclusion based on the intelligence available to the prime minister at the time. So he's actually in his report trying to make Justin Trudeau's case for him. He is preemptively doing Justin Trudeau's spin so that Justin Trudeau doesn't have to even do his own spin. He can just look at the report, take it at face value and say, see, David Johnson exonerated us. That's probably why you appointed him because you knew this was going to be the way things are going. We're going to talk about this more after I've had a time to go through the report in a bit more depth tomorrow, but you can read it for yourself and I would encourage you to because that way when Trudeau gets up there and misrepresents it, you are armed with the facts and not just the spin. Although I warn you, the spin is baked into the report it Itself. That does it for us. We will be back tomorrow with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. Thank you, God bless, and a good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.